Hey there, welcome to the Hunt Gather Talk Podcast. This is episode three. Today we are going to talk unloved and exotic proteins, all kinds of things that uh, are a little bit off the beaten path. And I have a great guest today. His name is Joe Keo. And Joe is a trapper, he is a hunter, he's an angler, he is a general HAGC kind of guy. And he lives in northeastern Ohio, and he's one of these uh, still waters run deep kind of guys. You know, he doesn't doesn't talk a big game, but he knows a lot. And he's going to be a great, great conversation, and you're going to have a good time listening to the both of us jaw about everything from javelinas to pigeons to muskrats to beavers, coots, pigeons, you name it. If it is an unloved protein here in North America, we have probably eaten it. So... Give us a listen. Uh, it's going to be a fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening to the Hunt, Gather, Talk podcast. I want to start this conversation by saying uh, thanks for coming on, and people will need to know about Joe Keo. Um, what You've been a hunter and a trapper your whole mm-hmm. life, right? Yeah, yeah. And you live up in northeastern Ohio. Right. And yet you uh, you're quite the world traveler too, aren't you? Where have you where have you been in the last couple of years? I know I know you've been all over the world. Well, I was in uh, Thailand uh, in late September, early October. Never been there before. That was pretty cool. Got to spend some time uh, up in some Hmong villages up north uh, west of Chiang Mai. That was really cool. That was an eye opening experience. What brought you there? Actually, my uh, one of my brothers has. Uh, his youngest son teaches there. He's an English teacher. And uh, so he said, hey, we're headed to Thailand. You want to come along? And I said, hey, why not? <laughs> so we, uh, we spent, I think, 12 days there. Saw a lot of the countryside, uh, stayed pretty much out of Bangkok. And uh, What, you want to avoid it? You, you want to avoid the, uh, the normal attractions of Bangkok? <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, yeah, we're we're getting too old for that kind. I'll of I'll get too old for that kind of crap. But uh, no, we had uh, actually there was a restaurant near where my nephew lives that specialized in wild game. So we had the we had a plethora of exotic protein while we were there. What you eat when you were there? Because that's got to be like we're gonna. I mean, we're gonna talk on this mm-hmm. podcast about you know normal exotics like turtles and beavers and right. muskrats and things that you trap sure. and. You know, snakes and javelina and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But, but in in Thailand, you have a whole other set of well, really exotic proteins. They do, but it was it was not as exotic as I had uh, hoped for. Uh, probably the most unusual item on the menu was duck tongue. Uh, you don't normally find that, you know, in, in restaurants in Northeast Ohio. Uh, but it was. The- I've actually I've actually seen duck tongues on any number of Chinese restaurants, and and I actually. You may or may not know, on page, oh hell, I think it's a link, what, page 187 of my cookbook, uh-huh. there's a crispy fried duck tongue recipe. <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> but I had that. It's really, it's really good. We had, of course, the, uh, they love wild boar. Uh, we had deer. The only problem is it's all stir fried and probably a little well done, you know, for my liking, but it, it was good. The, the thing that got me most of all was the green papaya salad. I wasn't prepared for that. It had those little tiny Thai bird chilies in it, and uh, it was probably the third or fourth bite that it really hit home exactly how hot it was. Oh man, those this, they, those sneak up on you. I've been doing a lot of work on uh, on Mexican food lately yeah. because I'm just trying to learn the cuisine. Sure. And 
one of the things that you have in even in southern Arizona, they grow wild, or those wild chili piquin. Mm-hmm. They're even hotter. Wow. And the Mexicans up in the you know in El Norte, sort of all the northern the border provinces, right. they like to take these dry chilies and have a little mortar and pestle, mm-hmm. and they grind them at the table so they're nice and powerful, Gosh. and and sprinkle it on their food like pepper and. Holy shit! Yeah, I know they, they do that with their fruit salad too. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's amazing. I, but I actually like it on the fruit salad in, in moderation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I nothing like a, a little picante to get your day going, but uh, yeah, you, you have to be careful with that stuff. So when so in your normal course of event now, I mean, I want to explain to people that Joe and I met each other online and uh, we became very good sort of internet friends. And then when my first book tour came out in 2011, mm-hmm. Joe and his wife Dory offered to you know put me up for the night in uh, near Cleveland. Right. So we became fast friends and we'll come back and uh, you know and hunted squirrels. Uh, we're both uh, members of the Royal Order of Squirrel Assassins. <laughs> we are. It's a select group. It is. Uh, and, and every now and again, I'll get a, an odd box from Joe or, or one of his friends right. that may or may not be dripping blood. <laughs> That's a funny yeah. story. Uh, it wasn't Captain Angry. Who, oh, uh, who was Dr. Norm, I think it was. Dr. Norm. It was Dr. Norm. So Dr. Norm, we'd been talking, you know, you and me and, and Dr. Norm had been talking about turtles, snapping turtles. Right. and. I you know never thought anything. He's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna send you turtles someday. <laughs> never thought anything about it. And and then so one day I'm I, I'm I'm at my computer I think I'm doing something work related and Holly's doing something in the house and a knock on the door and and it's the mailman <laughs> and Holly calls out, Hey Hank, are you expecting anything bleeding? <laughs> I said not today. No. <laughs> And it was this giant snapping turtle in yep, there. Yep. That's Dr. Norm for you. He's, uh, but he, he loves turtle, uh, catching turtles. They're great. Oh, yeah. They're great. I, I made several recipes from that. I mean, he's a big turtle. Yeah, yeah. The shell is still in my backyard, actually. They uh, actually increased the uh, size limit. Uh, the, in years past, there was no size limit. You were just you know, It was a numerical thing. You were allowed so many turtles uh, per day. And then a possession limit, but uh, there's actually quite a trade right now, uh, black market trade with snapping turtles. Really? And it's out of New York, and they were actually sending Ohio and Pennsylvania and Indiana turtles to New York, which had pretty tight regulations on their turtle. But yeah, a lot of the snappers, and we haven't suffered any you know ill consequences yet. We still have a pretty healthy turtle population here, but they're trying to stay ahead of the game and uh, regulate a little more tightly. But yeah, a lot of yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of them are headed overseas. Uh, you see that? That's you know, I mean, it's game. Yeah. You know, and and actually, this is an interesting side note that we should talk about. Right. With exotic proteins are often not legally game species, and, and as a trapper, you know this. Yeah, and actually, in Ohio, the only game that you can sell uh, is snapping turtle. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of odd. But, yeah, that, that kind of puts a kibosh on wild game dinners. You have to kind of finagle your way around charging people because, you know, you just can't sell wild game. There's a – there. Are, I mean, at least it's been told to me in California, and, and every state will interpret this differently, is that 
if I were to serve um, game at, a, let's say, a restaurant setting, yeah. actual game, yeah. not ranched or farm, sure. the person or persons who hunted it uh, have to be in the restaurant at the time, and I, I have to serve it to them and their party. Okay. So, I, so like, I can't serve it to them and their table or tables if it's a group, but I can't serve it to Louie over there in the corner. And, um, and you know, I can't serve it any leftovers once they leave. Right. And so it's 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 a way to do a, a game dinner. You can do it legally, mm-hmm. uh, provided that, you know, let's say it's a, a local Ducks Unlimited chapter that a bunch of the hunters there donated the, the game and they're there at the dinner and they're right. being served. And, you know, it's it's a little bit it's just a gray area. Yeah. But I mean, I've seen lots of of uh, reports where they're selling raccoons and mm-hmm. woodchucks and possums at markets. I mean, there was the famous one about the the shrink-wrapped raccoon in the L.A. market that everybody freaked out about. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, it looks like St. Louis. I mean, you know. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and then there was the, the story about the, uh, the Chinese restaurant, and I don't recall where it was, but they brought in a roadkill deer, and their problem was they brought it through the restaurant, not in the back door. It was in a I've heard those stories. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Yeah. Please move along. <laughs> the show's over. But how does that, I mean, but trapped meat can't be sold? No. No, you can sell, the, you sell the fur, but not the, the meat. I didn't know that because, I mean, I just assumed that if it was trapped meat, right. that's how it's getting to be in markets. Because like, it's very common to see, and it may be state to state, because I, I am, yeah. I'm absolutely positive that you can sell muskrat in the Delmarva area. Because it's right, you can, and in Louisiana, and I believe in Michigan too. Hmm, there's okay. a, a little niche of uh, people uh, outside Detroit that have eaten muskrat for generations out there. Scrats. I remember you sent you sent me some scrats. And I feel bad. And I, I should have told you to soak it for at least twenty four hours. I did a quick soak <laughs> on them, but they they are pondy. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. If you said everyone's like, oh, they're fishy. They're not fishy. Yeah. They're pondy. It's that, that muck smell you get. Mm-hmm. It's algae, I think. Yeah. yeah. And you know uh, what's what's hilarious is I was trying to explain to someone coots, mm-hmm. and coots are often very fat, and the fat is nice and pretty and white, and it's one of the very few instances where visually it looks great, mm-hmm. but it's not a taste treat. I, and yeah. And it's because they too are pondy. So we've dubbed uh, we've dubbed uh, coots the muskrats of the air. <laughs> well, I you know was it last year or the year before South Carolina opened up a season on double crested cormorants. Really? Yeah. And all you have to do is take a it's like a four hour course on how to identify cormorants because they don't want you you know just shooting any old you know waterfowl. What on earth would you confuse with a cormorant? I don't know. Uh, but that's one of the reasons they don't want us shooting mute swans in Ohio either, because they're afraid we're going to confuse them with tundra swans. You have tundra swans in Ohio? Oh, yeah. yeah they come, really? They come through. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. But uh, the cormorants are, I mean, they're a problem everywhere right now. And, uh, in fact, there's an island in western Lake Erie that is totally denuded of any uh, flora because the, there's a colony of, of cormorants nesting there, and their their scat is so acidic that it just kills everything. Really? Yeah. Guano Island. It is. Yeah. Uh, and it's an uninhabited, and it's uninhabitable <laughs> at this point. 
but they have what they call a mitigation program, and they just go out and blast them. But you're not going to tell me that somebody eats them. Well, I was. You know me. <laughs> oh, here we go. I I went online to see if there was such a thing as a recipe for cormorants, and the only thing you can find online are joke recipes. Oh, like you know, with the stone and eat the stone right. kind of thing. You know, board and throw the carp away and eat the board. You know, the, the same one you hear over and over, but. Right. Yeah, there's no serious cormorant recipe out there. And they have to be nasty. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, all they eat is fish. Yeah. yeah. All they eat is fish. So, you know. The... Although, you know, up in Newfoundland, they, they eat what they call tur, or tur. It's not the real name. They're actually called mures. You know, oh, and merbirds. Yeah. yeah, we have lots of merbirds in the Pacific. And they love eating them. In fact, tur gravy in Newfoundland is probably the primo delicacy. You know, aside from seal flipper. <laughs> I love that how you threw that in as an aside. Well, yeah, other than seal flipper. Well, seal, I've had seal flipper up there, and it is like the best Yankee pot roast, only ten times richer. And yes, it does have a fishy note to it, but it is so rich, and, and it's delicious. I've had seal oil. Um, I had seal oil in, in southern Alaska, and it was relatively new, and it was actually quite good and, and not very fishy at all. Yeah. What was fascinating, though, is the Tlingit Indians who made it and served it to us mm-hmm. were like, oh, yeah, you guys are going to like this one. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Like, we don't like it. It's not ready. <laughs> what do you mean? We like to let it sit for a good, oh, yeah. three months, so it's like yeah. stank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like those Icelanders with the shark. Oh, the hakar. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you know so I forgot about the whole Newfoundlander you know you so you've gotten weird weird exotic proteins in in Bangkok and or in Thailand and then also in Newfoundland which we need to go to Newfoundland someday and do yeah. the craziest moose hunt ever. Yep. Yep. And it's not crazy because it's a crazy moose hunt it's crazy because of what I would need to do to get there. Yep. So drive my truck with a box freezer mm-hmm. to Cleveland mm-hmm. and then get in your truck right. and drive to Newfoundland. Well, I have two box freezers in the back. And uh, I, you know, it works. You just as long as you have the time, it, uh, it it's a heck. Maybe 2017. Yeah, that, 2017 because I want to shoot a whole bunch of ptarmigans and eat oh, seal yeah. flippers and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, and the grouse shooting there is amazing. They have uh, they combine rough grouse with spruce grouse, and you have a combined limit of 15 a day. Oh wow! And then they have their ptarmigan. It's a combined rock or willow ptarmigan. Uh, limit and that's 25 a day. Crazy! I need to do that because yeah. those are so good to eat. They have uh, regularly. They have bird hunters from France. You know, the French have discovered the, the ptarmigan and grouse hunting, and they bring their dogs all the way from France, and they have a uh, heck of a time. Well, I hear you can like hunt ptarmigans with rocks because they're not not really super wary. No, they're not. In fact, you, you have to kind of. You know, I don't like to shoot any bird that's sitting on the ground looking at me. You know, you have to. <laughs> well, you get like the Sarah McLaughlin. Like, yeah, right. Oh, puppy dog eyes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I sent you that thing about the, the Sarah McLaughlin and the Browns at night with the. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's, it's your factory of sadness. It is. For those of for those of you who don't understand, um, you know, Joe lives in Cleveland, and this is the home of the Browns, and. The the I don't know that we need to say anymore, but you know, right, right. 
I guess what makes it so sad is they were so good for so many years, so many generations, and then ever since uh, Bernie Kosar retired, they just kind of sucked out loud. And, and then they moved away, and then they won the Super Bowl as another team. And, oh, my. Well, we'll get over it. I, I, I don't think you're going to no, get over not. it. And Johnny Manziel was not the second oh, coming. God. Yeah. Yeah, let's. Yeah. Hey, let's let's talk about food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a poor, depressing Joe. Right. We get questions a lot, probably you and I both, about the off proteins. Mm-hmm. And first of all, why? You know, why would you, when there's venison and turkeys and ducks and and grouse and things and pheasants, why would you even bother going going there? Well, I I like to trap. Uh, I've never really done it for the money because there's really not much money in it. Although a couple of years ago, muskrat uh, for I, I actually got about eleven dollars a piece for number one large prime furs, which is unheard of. Uh, but I I don't like to waste anything, and you have all this clean. They're free range muskrats, by the way, Hank. <laughs> <laughs> do they live long, rewarding lives? They do. Yes, and uh, I just. You know, couldn't see tossing it when there were so many recipes out there for them. And uh, yeah, they're, they could be pondy. If they're soaked long enough, uh, you tend to mitigate that. Um, but I've, I found that the best way to serve muskrat is like as a ravioli stuffing. You know, mm. you've, you've browned it, you've uh, braised it for a long period of time with a lot of red wine, and then you pull it apart and chop it up and mix it with some potatoes. And, uh, some fresh herbs, and then I like to use uh, roasted chestnut pasta to make my raviolis, and just with a butter sage sauce. It's it's really good that way. See, this is what I mean, people like like Joe Kio, like oh yeah, he's a former sheriff from you know Pig's Knuckle, Ohio, <laughs> and it's like oh yes, you know I'd like to use a, you know a, a you know still waters run deep, people. This is you know you have to understand this. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, but I just don't like to waste anything, and that's why I, I get kind of aggravated when guys say, well, you just breast that bird out, you know. It's just being lazy. You're wasting so much of the bird if you don't use up the whole thing, you know, including the giblets if they're not all shot up. Right. Uh, you know, and that's uh, – it, it runs the gamut, not just game, but fish as well. We've talked about that before. Oh, yeah, the unloved fish. Oh, yeah, they uh, – I, I like to – I love fishing on party boats off the Jersey Shore. That's how I grew up. <laughs> I know. And one, they're affordable. Two, very often you meet some really cool folks and you have a really good time. And I always enter the pools. And, and for those that have never been on a party boat before, you usually have the opportunity to enter a pool. Everybody kicks in like three bucks and whoever gets the largest fish wins the pool. And, uh, you know, it could be more than enough to pay for your trip. But uh, they always the quantifier is it has to be an edible fish. Yeah, I always love that one. <laughs> and so that immediately sea robins, dogfish, skates, oyster toadfish, all those go out the window because they consider those inedible. Well, dude, if you if you win the pool with an oyster toad, that is the world's largest oyster toad. <laughs> hey, I've seen some pretty big ones though come over the right. Yeah, that's a monkfish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they look like when they're when they get you know two three pounds, they look like a, a monkfish. But you know, I, we were, uh, not this past spring, the spring prior, I was out early. It was in uh, uh, late April. 
uh, and we were in the Delaware Bay, and we got into some spiny dogfish like I've never seen. They were all between 36 and 42 inches. Ooh, nice one. Yeah, and nobody wanted them. I brought home a ton of spiny dogfish. But, you know, you, you have to stun them, take their heads off, bleed them out, and get them on ice right away. And once you do, they're a fantastic fish on the grill mm-hmm. or, or poached or fried. There's all different ways to prepare them. And it's, a lot of people would like them because they're very mild. I tend to like a fishy fish, you know. That's why I like bluefish a lot. I like them all. Yeah. But, you know, like in the West Coast, for us, that's the leopard shark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which are, are ours are prettier, mm-hmm. yeah. but uh, they taste about the same. Yeah, yeah. Of the trapped meats that you mm-hmm. you know regularly trap, what's your what's the one that's the toughest to deal with at the table, and what's the one that you're like, oh sweet, I got a X, and so this will be good eating. Muskrat. Muskrat's tough to deal with because of the the pondiness. In fact, I <laughs> I had a friend of mine was putting on a, a game dinner uh, with just some friends. And he called me up in the morning and he says, hey, I need a couple squirrel pies. And I says, well, gosh, I don't have any squirrels in the freezer, but let me go out and, you know, whack a couple. And I went out and it was one of those few times where there were no squirrels anywhere. And so I went back and I, I broke open the box of exotic proteins down in the basement <laughs> and I, I pulled out a couple of muskrat and I parboiled them before I put them in the Dutch oven and to give them a long, slow braise. And Dory came home when I was parboiling them, and uh, she couldn't. <laughs> she walked into the house and says, "What the hell is that?" And she says, "Oh, just a few muskrats on the stove. It'll be, it'll be all right." But it, it, it is a unique aroma. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, probably of the trap meats, beaver is is probably my favorite. Uh, and you know, you know, Q. The Q beaver joke. I yeah. eat beaver every chance I get. <laughs> uh, but not, not only the, uh, I quarter them and then soak them. And you, you want to make sure when you're uh, skinning them and cleaning them, you don't want to get the casters on any of the meat because that is, uh, and plus we sell the casters. Right. Um, but Do you know the Swedes make a an akavit that is flavored with a caster gland? I did not know that. In that, that's, I, I mean, it's one of those things like, hey, it's alcohol. How bad can it be? <laughs> that's, that's true. But even the tail. Uh, in fact, I have a couple in the freezer right now. I don't know if you ever read Mountain Man. It was about mm-hmm. Mountain Man used to relish beaver tail because of the fat content. You know, in the middle of winter, you want to get as many calories as you can. And basically, the, the beaver tail is mostly fat. Uh, and they would just roast it over an open fire and the skin would crack and peel off and they would just gobble the fat down but what we've done is we'll skin them skin the tail brine it for a little bit and then smoke it and then you have a component for baked beans then uh rather than ah okay and uh, it's pretty good that way yeah because i've always i've heard that and i knew that i'm like you know people like, oh you'd like beer tail i'm like mm. well again again cute jokes yeah uh <laughs> the young ones uh no shortage Oh God! There's an endless. I mean, you, you know, the threads that will happen on the hunt gather cook forum are just, you know, all right, bring it. Um, but I, I just have always known that it's just been basically fat, and I knew that, you know, if you're out trapping in, you know, the 1800s, yeah. then you need the fat. But in this modern environment, it's just, it's, it's my least favorite part of the beaver. I mean, I like the hindquarters. Right. Yeah, the hindquarters are meatiest, uh, but it's, it's all good. The, uh, you know, I'm basically a water trapper. Uh, which means beaver, muskrat, mink, 
Uh, I've, I've never tried a mink. I probably should try that before I, I pass judgment. Meat eating weasel. <laughs> That's right. How about uh, have you eaten? Have you ever eaten carnivores? I have not. I have not. Uh, like a fox or a bobcat or a coyote. Or... No, I've, I have not. I know a lot of people eat mountain lion. In fact, I know. In fact, one of your fish and game people got uh, kind of roasted himself for doing that. You see, I'm not sure he ate it. I think he might have been a trophy hunter. Yeah. I um, I had read that they had eaten some steaks off of that, but probably. Yeah. Probably. I mean, it's I you know, you know, I I, and I think you and I have talked about this. Is you know, it's a line that that I don't want to draw. I mean, that I don't cross. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm kind of the same way. I. Uh, Dogs and cats, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, I understand, you know, the, the, the chemistry, and but there's that part of me that just, you know, I, I'd rather not. Well, I was just doing some research on javelina, mm-hmm. interestingly enough. And so everybody hate, likes to hate on javelina as being skunk pigs or inedible or just, you know, they just basically they're an un- unloved animal. Sure. And so I shot one in South Texas, and I was stoked. Actually, I mean, it's I'm here on this ranch, right? With right. Like my the, my host is like, oh yeah, that's that's easily 140, 150 class whitetail. Yeah, we won't shoot him. He's too small. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I've never really, sh- I've never shot anything remotely that big. So, yeah. so we're just sort of picking through these ginormous deer, mm-hmm. and, and then Havelina walks out, and I'm like, oh, I can shoot that, right? He's like, absolutely. So I shot this javelina, and I'm and I think I confused him because like oh yeah, and because <laughs> you know whitetails live everywhere oh, yeah. and javelina right. are only in the south. Right. So so I skinned it out, and uh, you know everybody talks about that scent gland, which is true, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was you know it was kind of musky, but yeah. no wor- it'd be a lot nicer than a uh, than a big old wild boar. Oh yeah, those things smell like a locker room. <laughs> I've never I've never shot one. Oh really? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine. I mean, I don't know if you were ever an athlete, but you know, imagine a locker room in a hot day. Yeah, I, I get not good. I get the picture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they call it taint. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I'm cleaning this little javelina, and it's there's no smell at all. And you know, you know where the gland is, and the gland is, uh, you know, is in the small of the back. And as long as you are not messing with it as you clean it, mm-hmm. you'll never break it. You'll never, you know, it's it's probably where the castor glands yeah, are in a, I would imagine. In a fever. Yeah. And you just never notice it. It's just you, you clean the animal as normal, and then all of a sudden you have a skinned animal, and it's and it looks like a little pig. Yeah. There's no real difference. So the, I bring this up because, you know, it's it's quite often that pigs can be not good. And the usual explanation for that is that the pigs have been eating animal matter, yeah. carrion usually. Right, right. And a javelina will, but doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Whereas a pig sees a dead cow and goes, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. And so with 99% of a javelina's diet being plant matter, according to all the studies, mm-hmm. they don't have trichinosis. Well, there you go. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So, I mean, here's a, here, you know, everyone's like, oh, you got to worry about trichinosis and, and bears and all carnivores, like cats sure. have it in spades. Oh, yeah. And, and here's a, it's essentially a vegetarian little piggy. Wow. That, that's cool. I, I would love to hunt Avelina sometime. But you got to get down south. Yeah, sure do. South Texas is where I think the, the center of abundance is mm-hmm. in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that would be, that would be, I'd, pronghorn too. I've never hunted pronghorn. I'd like to. 
Oh, I can. You, we we need it. Yeah, I'll come out to you for the for Newfoundland, and, right. and then you come to me for for pronghorn. It's a deal. I've hunted a fair number of pronghorns, and they're delicious. Mm-hmm. They can actually be kind of an unloved animal, weirdly enough. People say I mean, they taste like sagebrush, and I, I would imagine there's probably a, a grain of truth to that. But I kind of sure. like sage, so that's not a big deal. Well, sage, for, I mean, it, you know, I've never had one that was unpleasant. Yeah. I have had them that are sort of sagey scented, but I mean, if you've ever been in the sagebrush plains, I mean, there's a reason it's used in perfume. Yeah. It's a beautiful smell. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's just not corn fed. That's yeah. all. Let's 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 shift over to non mammals. Okay. And you know, back to turtles and mm-hmm. and snakes and any kind of other things and iguanas and all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And have you? I mean, other than, did you grow up eating snapping turtles? Uh, I the first time I had snapper was probably I was seventeen or eighteen, one that we, we had caught. And in cleaning it, I nearly took the thumb off the, the <laughs> a friend of mine that was helping pry the carapace apart. Uh, so you do have to be careful when you're cleaning a uh, a snapper. I was gonna. That was my next question. So walk me walk walk me and everybody else through. Okay, you have a snapping turtle that is a considerable size and it's hissing at you. Now what? Well, first of all, it's difficult to to pick one up because they're going to spin, usually counterclockwise, unless they're left-handed, then they spin clockwise. I guess. Is, are you? Is this serious? I'm really? serious. Yeah. That's actually really funny. When, yeah, when you go to grab him by the tail, he's going to spin, and you really don't want to mess with that bill. There. No. And so what you do is is step on it so he can't spin, then uh, uh, grab the tail and lift him straight up away from your body, and his head will come out at 90 degrees to his shell, and you just place it over a stump and you whack the head right off him. And uh, let them bleed out. But like most reptiles and, and amphibians, they don't die easy. Well, you know, here's the thing: you will uh, you take the bottom off the shell, and it's fairly. You, you can just cut that yeah, off, right? You just get a, a thin bladed, pretty sharp knife, and you can take that right off. And then, you know, there's all kinds of connective tissue holding it on. But basically, it uh, you just separate that, and off it comes. And then, gut it. You know, now you're. you're you have access to its uh, abdomen and everything. And then some people use uh, compressed air to separate the skin before they do anything else. I've never tried that. They'll, they'll uh, you know, take an air tank with an air hose and then... Uh, For classic, you know, redneck ingenuity. That's right. And they'll cut a slit in one of the hind legs and they'll just open her up and that air goes between the meat and the flesh or the skin and uh, makes it a lot easier to skin. Uh, looks cool, but I've never tried it. But at any rate, there's a whole, the difficult part arrives when you get to the uh, meat that's above the spinal column because there's all little nooks and crannies in there that there's just no easy way to get it out of there. Right. I mean, I remember the, the, the turtle that uh, Dr. Norm sent me, uh, like the the tenderloins were, you basically had to just use a, a very fine knife and just fiddle with it. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the other thing is, is after you've spent an hour, you know, uh, trying to get as much meat out of the shell as you can, uh, you'll notice that your gut pile is still beating. <laughs> oh. They have a very primitive nervous system, not unlike, by the way, dogfish. I don't know if you've had this experience with leopard sharks, but uh, I cut one of the dogfish up. A couple of springs ago, 
to put on the grill, and I had uh, I seasoned them and kind of slathered some olive oil on them, and they were still quivering on the plate. You know, this is probably four or five hours after I caught them. Huh? I don't I don't think I've ever noticed that. I I rarely eat the fish that I catch that same day. Yeah. It's just a, you know it's just a habit yeah. of mine, so maybe that's why I'm missing yeah. it. Well, frogs are kind of the same thing. Yeah. Oh, frogs. frogs I love frogs. I do too, but yeah. frogs just don't die. Yeah, they don't. I mean, we we actually gig them up in Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Which uh, which we probably I should probably shouldn't say out loud because now everybody's going to go do sure, it. But sure. they're invasive up there, and so there is no limit. And the biologists want you to kill every last one of them. Wow. We filled a five gallon bucket full of just hogs. Oh, nice. In about 90 minutes. Yeah. Of course, my favorite you know, way with, with that is just, you know, uh, bread and panko and deep fried. Oh, my gosh, they're good. You deep fried, you know, fried and grilled are yeah. probably the two ways. You know, and then there's that, um, the sort of quasi-fry, the saute, the French saute, where you just yeah. dust them in flour and they're just so good. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, of all of the things that people say, taste like chicken. No, they don't. They taste like frogs. <laughs> they do, but that one's pretty close. Yeah. That one's about as close to actual chicken, other than like you know right. pheasant, right. which is a chicken, right? A fancy chicken. But they just don't die. Like you gig them, mm-hmm. and then you think they've been, you've been speared through the mm-hmm. head, and like, nah, nah, yeah, I got. Is that all you got? Yeah. And, yeah. and then you just got to whack them against something so that they yep. sort of die, yep. and then they're still twitching the next morning. Yep. It's just weird. <laughs> it is weird. It's weird. But how about snakes? You ever eaten a snake? Uh. When I was in Arkansas, I used to hunt when I was in my late teens. I think I went three years, consecutive years, probably 74, 5, and 6, uh, to hunt deer down there. It was before Ohio had many deer. Back in the 60s and really through the 70s, we didn't have a whole lot of deer in Ohio. It wasn't until the 80s that they, they exploded. But a friend of mine, his mother was from Arkansas, and, and all of her family was still down there. So we used to go down there to hunt deer. And... This is South Central Arkansas, below Camden, and it was loaded with timber rattlers. And huh. so we did. We we uh, killed and ate uh, a very large timber rattler and uh, a water moccasin as well. I thought it was good. It's chewy. It, it is. It is. I guess, you know, the, the problem Southern Florida is having now with pythons is partly due to the fact that they're apparently not that good to eat. Oh, my God. God. So... My friend Scott Laysath, yeah, he has a he has a show on Sportsman's Channel uh, called Dead Meat. Oh yeah, and it's basically his version of like the like the Andrew Zimmern show, and and one of <laughs> one of the things that basically they he, they made him eat was he went to South Florida and he ate python, oh. and he said he could feel the mercury levels <laughs> in his body rise. We just had we just had Scott on the show two weeks ago. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean it's just—it's brutal. Yeah, it's one of the worst things he's ever eaten. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, someone else, oh, Jackson Landers, uh, wasn't quite as uh, impressed either with. And you know, Jackson, Jackson makes a living eating invasive yeah. species. Yeah, he wasn't impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I like iguana, though. Weirdly, you know, I've never had iguana. I, I would imagine uh, it would be pretty good. It's less chewy than a snake. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's similar. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know if you've never eaten a reptile out there, yeah. um, my way to describe it is it's like uh, if a chicken and a clam had a love child, mm-hmm. and that's it's pretty much snake, turtle, and gator 
are very much like that, and then iguana less so. Yeah. In general, mm-hmm. you know, and it, you know, we're talking the off animals. You know, you know, coons, possums, woodchucks, oh, whistle pigs. Woodchucks love woodchucks. The of all of these things, what is the you know, if you're going to be a uh, a an ecumenical yes. hunter and an eater of North American game animals, right. what's probably the easiest one? to serve to a civilian. Oh, yeah. You just mentioned it. Woodchuck, to me, is amazing. It is uh, It's kind of like a squirrel on steroids, you know, as far as the size goes. Right. You know, it's like half the size of a beaver. And in the fall, they're quite laden with fat, but it's not off-putting fat at all. You know, if, really? if you roast the, the bugger whole, oh, my gosh, that's good. Yeah. And raccoon, I'm, I've... Eaten raccoon, not a huge fan. It's good, but again, it's it depends on what they've been eating, which you know holds true with most anything. Well, a coon is like a, it, they're more closely related to so bears, bears and pigs, right? Mm-hmm. So they, I mean, they're true omnivores, and they can they can go after fish too. Whereas, oh, yeah. you know, woodchucks and beavers and muskrats, they're all vegetarians. Yeah, I mean, the woodchuck's going to be eating clover and grass pretty much. How they get so much fat out of that, I don't know, but they do. How would you describe, uh, you know, if if you if, if someone has only eaten either store bought food or regular wild game, how would you describe the woodchuck flavor? Oh boy, um, that's a, that's tough to compare to what you can get commercially. I would. It's dark. It's dark. It's 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 not as, certainly as nutty as a squirrel. Gosh, I don't know what I'd compare to. I that's. A, I, I would compare. I mean, for me, I would compare it closest to jackrabbit. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good comparison. You know, a red meat. Yeah. Although jackrabbits are almost always lean, mm-hmm. uh, a red meat that isn't necessarily something that you want to cook rare. Right. Right. But generally, you know, not not, not beefy because you know there's so much beef sure. character carried in the fat, but it's that sort of red meat mm-hmm. taste to it. That's the way I've. I been able to describe. I think that's it. pretty close. That's pretty good. And we've actually, in the last, two, I haven't trapped any muskrat uh, this year. One because the fur prices have crashed, but two, we've actually suffered a, a bit of a setback in, in this part of the state, and nobody seems to know why. But uh, there aren't as many muskrats around, so I'm kind of giving them a break, and let them bounce back a little bit. And the same holds true with woodchucks and. The common wisdom now is that the coyotes have figured out how to get muskrat out of their burrows, you know, the, hmm. the bank burrows. They just dig straight down through the dirt and grab them out of their burrows. And they also are taking quite a toll on, on woodchucks. So we don't see as many woodchucks as we did even three or four years ago. And we do see coyotes. They're everywhere. Well, and you have the big koi wolves, too. Yeah, they're uh, they're loners for the most part. and. and are they? And okay. they're big. It's rare to see more than one. But if a siren goes by, you'll hear them, you know. You know, two or three you might hear. Well, I've heard your bobcats are coming back, too. They are. They absolutely are, and as are black bears. Really? Yeah, in fact, they've. Uh, there's so many resident black bears now, they've been tagging them. You know, typically the bear you would see in eastern Ohio was uh, a young male that had been booted out of uh, his, Pennsylvania? Yeah, his, his mother's territory. And they'd wander around for a bit and then eventually head back to Pennsylvania. But, yeah, we've actually got a, a 
fairly sustained population of black bear in the eastern part of the state. Hmm. Well, that, let's bring that up, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's bears are... It's funny. I mean, as as hunters, we probably don't put them in the same bucket as exotic protein, but I bet you a lot of people listening to this would be like, hey, bears? Who the fuck eats bears? Yeah, I know. And, and, and you know, the answer is black, if it's a black bear, pretty much everybody. Yeah. And, I mean, who, who hunts them? And you've is. written extensively about what makes a bear good and what makes a bear bad as far as uh, culinarily speaking. Exactly. I mean, and, and my general my, – I have very limited experience, however, with bears – East of the Rockies, mm-hmm. and you know, I can only assume though that most bears that are east of the Rockies are not habitual fish eaters, right? Right. Which would make them inherently good. Yeah. Like I know the the people I know up in in Wisconsin and and Michigan who hunt black bears, yeah, they swear by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and in Newfoundland as well. In fact, the black bears in Newfoundland get enormous, which is something else to consider. <laughs> that's Berg. That's Bergman's rule, I believe. Is the uh, it's why a Saskatchewan buck is is going to be twice the size of a of a South Texas buck because of body mass. They can stay mm-hmm. warm in the winter. That's why those damn Scandinavians are so that's huge. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's, but you ha- you've eaten bears, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, the first time I had bear, I was disappointed because uh, one of the guys I worked with had gotten a small male in Ontario. And he had the entire thing made into pepperoni. Uh, <laughs> I know. That's like having your deer made in entirely into smokies. You know that. I know guys who do that, I but know. they shoot like they shoot like eight deer a year. Though yeah. that's the thing. I, I, like if I shot eight deer, I might turn one into smokies, except for the backstrap. Yeah, I, I got a doe opening day of gun season, so I'm happy. I got that one little forked horn, and then uh, that was it. But you know, I had. I mean, I was Mister Unlucky. I had. I had six applications out in various states, and I got skunked on every single draw that I put in for. Hey, I have more unfilled deer tags from the 70s than I think any living human being. <laughs> do, you, do you keep them? Oh, of course I do. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have a little uh, packet with all the uh, unfilled deer tags. And when the Browns win the Super Bowl, you can finally burn I them. I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> That was mean. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. We're we're tough. Well, I want to finish with birds. Oh, sure. So let's like, so the last area of, of exotics. I mean, we could do a whole show on on oh, you could, aquatic stuff, and we oh, will. You could with just ocean fish or fresh right. fish. But let's just stick to the yeah. the you know the non fishy stuff for the most part. Right. My favorite thing about birds is if you look at the U.S. Army Survival Manual. And it goes through, you know, it's a very useful book. If any, and it, you can get them for like a, you know, a penny plus shipping on Amazon. Right. But if you look up this section on birds, it's like one sentence: all birds are edible. All birds are all birds are edible. Yeah. And you know, we talked about the cormorant before, but you know, other other birds that you will They're, habitually hunt that people give you an eye raised eyebrow on pigeons. Pigeons. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, for all intents and purposes, an invasive species, and there's no season on them there's no limit on them and if you're at a farm where there's a silo handy you usually have the opportunity to do some pass shooting it, it's uh what i've not done and we kind of talked about it before and whether or not you put it on the air house sparrows you know they're they're an invasive as well well the european sparrows is what we're talking we're about. talking about english sparrows yeah yeah 
the problem with that is, is you really want to know the difference between a song sparrow or a chipping sparrow and a English sparrow because I have the answer to that the, as it happens. It, uh, I know some Italian guys, mm-hmm. and it's always the Italians oh. for, for whatever reason. Italian guys really, really like to eat songbirds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no idea why. Yeah. But um, the Greeks, what they do, yeah. Greeks, yeah, yeah, is have a heart traps. Mm-hmm. So they, they trap them live, and so they basically bait sparrows in their yard, mm-hmm. and there'll be, I don't know, 15 sparrows in there, and they, they tend to flock up. Sure. So, you know, this morning there could be a whole bunch of American sparrows, and you just let them go. Mm-hmm. And the next morning it could be a bunch of European sparrows, and oh, they become Uccellini. And by the way, the quickest uh, way to identify a non-native sparrow is the top of its head. There's not a native species of sparrow that has gray on the top of its head. Ah, good to know. Yeah. I've never done it, and it, nor have I actually eaten a sparrow. But you know, as long as they're the European ones, I wouldn't want to. You know, I don't want to break the well, law. Well, no, anything. no, no. And, and <laughs> I think people have to realize. And I feed the birds. In fact, I'm looking out the window right now, and I, I have a number of English sparrows mixed in amongst the the winter birds here. If there were fewer English sparrows out there, there would be more song sparrows and fox sparrows and chipping sparrows and. You know, they, they, they're just very aggressive little little birds that uh, kind of elbow their way in. You know, they got sharp elbows this far. <laughs> <laughs> well, on pigeons, I mean, I've eaten, I've written about and eaten lots and lots of pigeons. And I, I mean, if anybody who's freaked out about pigeon, yeah. it's it, it's basically it's either a you know if you're a hunter, it's a big dove, right. or if you're a diner, mm-hmm. it's it's an older squab. Right. It's a red meat. Um, it's sh- the breast meat should be served medium to medium rare. Uh, the leg meat, I actually prefer those legs and they're really, they're, they're full of flavor. And even though it's only a couple bites per leg, yeah. man, are they good. Yeah. People need to understand that they bought Columbia Olivia, which is the typical rock dove or, mm-hmm. or gray pigeon you see mm-hmm. that was brought here specifically for food. Right. right. And, and they really dig hanging out, uh, because, they do not require old forests like the the uh, passenger pigeon did. Right. And the, you know the, everyone talks about how hunting destroyed the passenger pigeon, and it was the final nail in the coffin. Mm-hmm. But it was the cutting down of the old forest in Ohio yep. and in Pennsylvania and yep. you know the whole East Coast that that destroyed their habitat. Yep. And so the whole you know they used to say that oh the flock would take hours mm-hmm. to pass by. Well, that's because all of these pigeons are looking for more old forest. It was an unnatural state of affairs. Right. right. Yeah. Yep. But but in terms of eating, we have bantail pigeons in the West mm-hmm. too, and and they're delicious as well. But but weirdly, our bantail pigeons they don't reproduce very well. So we've had a two bird limit for quite some oh, time. Okay. You know, I'm cool with that until they come back. I mean, I'd like to eat more of them, but you know, yeah. I'd much rather feel good about hunting and eating something than, you know, oh, I ate the last. (laughs) No one wants to be that guy. It's like that that fella that cut down the world's oldest living tree. I don't know if you heard about that. No, a Joshua tree? No, it was a bristlecone pine. Somewhere out by you. Yeah, it has to be. He was doing a climate survey. And since it's one of the oldest living trees on Earth, you know, they grow very, very slowly. Uh, they take core samples, much as they would from a glacier, you know, and they right. tell which years were drought-stricken and which had plenty of moisture. And he kept breaking his tool because this wood is so hard and dense. And so the forester that was with him, he says, you know what, there's plenty of them around. Just cut it down. And they caught, cut it down, brought it back to the lab, 
and it was the oldest known living tree on Earth. <laughs> oh. and, and this guy has been ostracized. <laughs> and if I could remember his name, I would. He's already suffered enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of like the whole the subtext of all of this stuff. You know, if you're if you're not a hunter and you're listening to this, is like this is you know we I mean most of us do everything we can to stay within the bounds of the law because no one wants to be that guy, right? right? You know, I don't want to be hunter angler poacher, no, cop, right? No. Exactly right. Half of this stuff is invasive, mm-hmm. and other things are are underutilized, and that's really one of the probably the other big reason mm-hmm. uh, to go into exotic proteins is. I mean, there's really three the way I see it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the first one. You know, you're trapping anyway, right. so don't waste the meat. Right. Another one is you know, just pure on flavors. The flavors are very interesting and different, and they present a a positive challenge to the cook. Right. It's not like Cormorants, which may be, you know, uh, oh boy. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, woodchucks and beavers and turtles, um, they're very good to eat. And the third would be, you know, you're dealing in many cases with an underutilized resource. You know, there's lots of raccoons around. There are lots of, right now, there are lots of beavers around, which is a wonderful thing. A ton of beaver. You do need a license to to hunt beavers uh, for anybody who's out there. Yeah, you have to trap them and you have to have a a trapper's license. And you have to, if you've not held one before, uh, in this state, you have to attend a class and learn how to do it humanely and efficiently. But, you know, I think part of it too, Hank, is that people are accustomed, you know, probably since World War II, to convenience, and they've grown accustomed to kind of bland-tasting, skinless, boneless chicken breast. And I think the tendency is to compare and say, well, that's gamey. Well, no, it's not gamey. It's different. Muskrats are gamey. Okay, muskrats are gamey. And I'm sure cormorants are gamey. (laughs) But, you know, don't compare it. It, It's an entirely different animal, you know, whether it's a pigeon or um, a woodchuck or beaver. Uh, it's not going to taste like beef or lamb or chicken. That's just how it is. And so, and the other part of it is, a lot of cultures enjoy fish on the bone, and we've gotten away from that over the last couple oh, of generations. And I think that's one of the best ways to eat, particularly small fish. You know, all the collagen starts to seep out of the bones and makes it just, you know, when your lips stick together with that, mm-hmm. that, that almost like uh, glue that comes, it's, it's, and amazing, but you just can't wolf it down like you can a you know a walleye fillet or a cod fillet or something like that. Well, you know, I mean, the you know everyone knows that expression: the the closer to the bone, the sweeter mm-hmm. the meat. Yeah. I mean, one of the big reasons for that is there's a there's an actual physical mechanical reason for that, mm-hmm. and that's when you cook something that is on the bone, the attachments of that muscle that you're about to eat mm-hmm. are still on the bone, and what it does is the application of heat on a uh, you know, a, a bone-in cut, mm-hmm. all of that connective tissue does not shrink in the same way that a skinless or a, a boneless thing would. Right. So, for example, it's very tricky to do this, but if you've got an open fire, mm-hmm. the best way to cook bird breasts is on the crown, you know, mm-hmm. on the breastbone, mm-hmm. and then you cut it off when you're done. Right. It's very tricky to do it on a pan, but if you've got an open fire or in a roasting situation... Sure. It's by far the best because you don't get that shrinking. And anybody who's ever put a duck breast or even a chicken breast mm-hmm. on a frying pan, yep. you can just watch it shrink. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that shortening is, you know, I mean, it's not the end of the world, no. of course. Cause, you know, <laughs> no. But you, you're in for a treat if you can actually cook a cap 
you know, like a, a crown of a grouse or a duck or something over that open fire or a grill uh, or something where you can you can get ambient heat all around it. You could do it in an oven, but it's a little tricky to for timing on a on a red meat bird that you want to eat right. medium. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely don't want to overcook dove or pigeon or no duck. I think coots are probably the other you know unloved bird that at least I eat with some frequency. I'm gonna have to try coot. They're not here typically until migration season, and then we'll see a bunch of them, and, and they are largely ignored. I taught myself to duck hunt by shooting coots mm-hmm. and moorhens, mm-hmm. uh, which is a cousin of that. Right. And they're gallinaceous birds. Yeah. They are in the chicken family. That's why the Cajuns call them water chickens, yep. pooloos. <laughs> and like we said, they are kind of the muskrats of the air, yeah. Um, yeah. but all of that gnarliness is in the skin and the fat. Mm-hmm. So... I learned that the hard way. Like I, I'll never forget. I was, I think it was 2004, and I shot my first one, and I picked it. And it was beautiful, white skin, fat. Roasted it, and like, it just like you were saying when Dory came mm-hmm. in when you were parboiling the muskrats, yep. Holly came in like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> oh, by the way, you mentioned uh, we were talking about game laws and things. like It's a little bit off the topic here, but we were in Scotland a couple of years ago, and we spent the better part of a week on the Isle of Skye. And in a little town called Uig, and uh, the home of your ancestors. Exactly. And uh, they have different game laws there, obviously. You could buy stag, you know, whatever cut you wanted. You could buy wood pigeons, and you could mm-hmm. buy pheasant at the local butcher shop. And complete with shot. It, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, their game laws are a little bit different over there. But I did have wood pigeon, and I thought it was very good. Yeah, wood pigeon is, you know, if you look, uh, if, you know, if anybody out there wants to go to, you know, your nearest dairy farm or wherever to shoot some rural pigeons. Now, I don't know that I want to shoot a urban pigeon, right. not only because you can't discharge a firearm in a city, right. but also <laughs> that. it's going to have like, you know, Doritos and cigarette sure. butts in its crop. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're talking which, rural pigeons. Which brings me to another Jackson Lander story, but we'll let that go. For now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I know that story. Yeah. actually. Um Cook them like a dove, mm-hmm. but if you are getting a bunch of them and you're looking for inspiration, mm-hmm. look to the British. Yeah, the British are probably the single biggest eaters of uh, pigeons, other than the Egyptians. The Egyptians eat a lot of pigeon too, so you'll find a lot of North African, Middle Eastern recipes for pigeon, a lot of British recipes for pigeon, and the Chinese eat them too. There's some really interesting Chinese recipes for them as well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I, I. Uh in fact, next dove season, I will have my flintlock 20-gauge ready to go. That's what I'm going to... So you want to shoot like four doves I want to shoot like season. four doves the whole season. But, uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm actually uh, still building that, that uh, flintlock. It's a replica of a, a French fusil, which was the uh, go-to long gun that the fur trappers used back, oh, throughout the 18th century, you know, prior to the Revolution. Well, don't you have a uh, replica, you know, you know, a replica gun like that for your deer hunting? Oh, I have a uh, replica. Actually, the barrel. Like a Hawken? The or? barrel's the real deal. I have a uh, Parker Hale Whitworth rifle, which was the Civil War sniper rifle of the day. The bore is actually, it's not rifled, it's hexagonal, and the bullet is mechanically fitting. The, the bullet has six sides on it as well, and it's twisted. Back in the day, they shot pure lead projectiles, and if they got the chamber pressure too high and the velocity too high, it would strip the lead. So this guy in England named Whitworth 
started with cannons, but it evolved into rifles. The uh, hexagonal bore, they call it a polygonal bore. I've seen those. Are, uh, the, the solution to not stripping the lead out of a, a high-velocity black powder arm. And, of course, the barrels are, you know, I think it's 40 inches long. So black powder, you, you have to have a long barrel to, to get full combustion, you know. Well, and accuracy. Yeah. So it's uh, – and I have a, uh, a side-by-side. In fact, if, when you come out next time – I've seen your side-by-side. Yeah. I think I've shot your side-by-side. I think you have, yeah. Isn't that the, isn't that the when I when I blew that squirrel like fifteen feet? Oh no, feet no, in that was my twelve uh, gauge side by side. Okay. Yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. No, we'll have to outfit you with some buckskins, and next time we're out squirrel hunting, use a black powder side by side. You know, muzzle. You should make me a squirrel skin vest. Oh yeah. Might take a while. Actually, I just I, I got one down in Guernsey County that was so pretty. I actually sent it to the taxidermist. I've never done that with a squirrel before, but it was a gray squirrel, and it was silver, almost white. Hmm, like our western grays. Yeah, and it had chestnut sides on it. Beautiful animal. So, are you are you getting it mounted so that it's like rampant, like it's attacking you? <laughs> no, no, just a regular sitting position. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you need to have it like you like giving you know, the finger. I'll, or <laughs> I've got it. I, yeah. Well, I just have to get another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Let's close with uh, right. you know what's your what's next on your what's your what's your next exotic protein on your quest for I, something new to eat. I am going to uh, Dory and I are going to hook up the teardrop camper and head down to a state park. I can't recall the name of it right now, but we have reservations uh, in February. We're going to head down to the Gulf just north of Clearwater, Florida. And I've got a new surf casting rig that I can't wait to try. It's a 14-foot rod, and I should be able to cast halfway to Texas with that thing. Really? And uh, I am going to see what I can catch out of the Gulf that time of year. I haven't really done the research yet, but I'm sure I'll be able to catch something. But just to stick my feet in the sand and not in the snow, I think it'll be a welcome break. And then, of course... uh, not long after that, we'll be opening up the shore house down at the shore, just north of Cape May in Wildwood Crest, New Jersey. And we'll be uh, the work weekend's always great because I sneak away for a couple charters, you know, during the work weekend. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I was out there in October closing up the place, and I got out on a uh, the Sea Star Three, which is my go-to boat now out of Cape May, and I just missed the run of stripers. But the week after I was there, they just nailed these big, big hogs. Oh, we'll come out to uh, California in late April or early May, and they won't be big hogs, yeah. but there'll be plenty of striped bass. We'll probably be tastier. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know what I would do if I caught one of those thirty-five pound striped bass. You know, it, I usually let them go. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, in the east, twenty pounds is about my limit yeah. that I'll keep, and then uh, in the west, about fifteen pounds. Yeah, yeah. I do love striped bass. I caught the uh, Four years ago, I was down on the Delmarva, actually on the Maryland uh, portion of the bay there, and and caught just barely legal stripers. I can't recall right now what the length was. Nineteen. Well, it's eighteen if it's in the Chesapeake, yeah. and I think it's twenty-four outside. Yeah, they were like could be they were like nineteen, twenty inches, and they were absolutely fantastic. Just wonderful fish. That is our bread and butter. Oh, my. Our, our limit's 18, too, and, and we catch a lot of 20 to 26-inch stripers. Oh, they're fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Well, all right, man. All right. Thanks, you, thanks for coming it's on. It's great talking to you. And uh, we will, we are going to come back and, at some point and do a, uh, a, an, a, an entire trash fish episode. Oh, fantastic. 
Because I know, like, we could get off onto trash fish for an hour oh. and it just. <laughs> I know there's not enough time. I know. Yeah. All right. We'll have you back on trash fish. But thanks a lot for being on the Hunt Gather Talk podcast. And this is Joe Keo, trapper and uh, and uh, Stillwater Run Deep guy <laughs> in uh, Northeast Ohio and long suffering Brown. Browns fan. Hey, it was a blast. Take care, Hank. Thanks. Well, that's it for the Hunt Gather Talk podcast, and I hope you liked it. Please remember to subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or however you subscribe to your own podcasts. And if you do like the podcast here today, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on any of those platforms. It helps a lot. Thanks a lot, and I will talk with you next week.